it opens up and it does illuminate just different facets of performance that I wouldn't think of otherwise. And I think working with artists across disciplines, which is something in classical music that isn't taught, although that's funny because opera is that, <laughs> um, it really changes how and why you perform. Welcome back to Chasing Artists, where we get to chat with artists and creatives from all walks of life, hearing their journeys of what got them where they are today. But before we dive into today's episode, just a quick reminder to please subscribe to the show. Whether you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, press that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on episodes. I'm so excited for you to be joining me wherever you are listening. Thank you so much for tuning in every single week to Chasing Artists. Today, we're chatting with musician and performance artist Chalista about her journey to her new multimedia operetta Pariah that is out today. Hi, Chalista. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. So what brought you to the performing arts to begin with? Oh, I, I think... I think I can just basically blame that on <laughs> my public school uh, music training. And I started in middle school when I was about 11. Um, there, And I remember kind of before before middle school, I, I was in elementary school, and I think it was close to summer. And a local symphony had this outreach program. So they would send members of the orchestra to schools to play concerts for kids, right? And a string quartet came into my elementary school. And I remember I was sitting on the ground, actually, in one of those like trailers they used to put you in when they ran out of room. <laughs> and they were playing, I think, a late Beethoven string quartet. And I was sitting right next to the cellist and I had my hands on the floor and I could just really feel the cello reverberating. And then also the cellist. So... I just wanted to be him. So he was, he was like six foot five, I want to say. And he had a huge afro. So to me, at like age eight, I thought he was at least 10 feet tall. And um, the other cool thing about him, I just thought it was so cool. He had an eye patch. And I, I just knew then and there that cello is my instrument and that I'd spend my whole life trying to be as cool as this cellist. That's awesome. So when did you start with the cello did you start like was that your first instrument or did you start with others uh let's see I started first on piano at age eight I you know I had to study it throughout like even in college because you have to play some passable keyboard if you're going to be a music major so um but it's not my primary instrument so but I did start on that Mm -hmm. Yeah, I played piano for a while. I uh, I love piano. I love like orchestra in general, orchestral music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I've been kind of, you know, since the pandemic, I haven't had any orchestral gigs and I'm kind of, I'm missing, I'm missing ensemble playing. It doesn't, you know, it used to be a part of my life and now that doesn't happen. So it's kind of, it's kind of a sad thing. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get back to it soon though. I hope so. Do you play any other instruments currently or is it just the cello? 
I just play cello. And as of now, I, I am primarily composing, mm. which is a strange turn in my life. I, that just, I moved to Los Angeles in February and that's when I sort of started getting more like doing little TV cues or indie documentaries and that really picked up and I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it more than doing live performance to some extent. Mm. So now I'm, I think 90% of my gigs right now are composing. That's awesome. I'm curious what led you to focus on composing? Just getting the gigs. I would say. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, before I always composed my, my own music for my albums. Um, I never thought of myself as a composer until maybe a year, year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. So this is really new, but it feels pretty organic in some way. I don't know how to explain it. It's a surprise, but it's like, it's kind of working for me. Yeah. Is it one of those things that like you sort of just stumbled upon and was just like, yes. I think so. I think it, it just makes sense the way I process and the way I do music anyway. Whenever I was doing albums, I, it suddenly dawned on me like a couple of months ago, like all that, like all that time back when I was kind of putting out albums and like figuring out ways to create that music that was just composing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, cause I wasn't doing it necessarily in a formal way, the way I would think of it at music school, I just counted it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. What's your composing process like? Yeah. I used to feel really ashamed of that. Um, <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> because I, I tend to start with either a visual prompt or a written treatment. So like I'll write something and then I'll compose to it, which is like scoring for a film or TV, right? Or I would, my first, first album it was created in response to a painting and I used to feel super. So every day I just made it a goal. Every day I'd sit down in front of this painting and create improvisations around it. And it was just like a way to get me out of my classical mold and to get me listening and thinking in a different way. Yeah. But I used to feel really ashamed. Like I felt ashamed, I think because of my music school training, I was in graduate school at the time doing a performance major. And I was like, this isn't how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just was like, Oh, this album, it's just an improvisation, but it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I find that too. I don't have like formal training for like any of the creative things that I do. And I'm just like, I just figure it out. I don't know. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, totally. So you didn't study composing. I didn't study composing, but you do have to take, you know, orchestration and arrangement classes and some, you know, you have to do theory. So I have basic, I do have training. I mean, I did go to graduate school for, for cello performance. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a formal composer by any means mm -hmm. wait can you talk more about the painting <laughs> I'm so uh, curious about that that's so cool like yeah. what what like inspiration did you draw from it like what were some of your those first sessions just like sitting down and, and improvising oh yeah I mean I actually okay yeah there's a whole story with that so anyway um I used to live in San Jose I lived there for in California for 10 years and there's an art gallery there called Anno Domini 
there was an artist that came through by the name of Jennifer Caviola, and I played her art opening, just doing, you know, solo cello stuff with Loop Station. Um, one of the paintings really like struck a chord and I had a, a printout of it, you know, it was on the poster. So I took it home, I had it like tacked up to my wall and I would just stare at it. Um, I think in school I was taking 20th century music. So it talks a little bit about different processes of improvisation and composition. So I decided to try applying that. So every day, yeah, I would just let myself respond to the painting every single day. So maybe a particular like line looked a certain way that I could kind of mimic with my bow or if something came up where I was like, this feels like G minor, or this feels like the opening of that album, which is called juxtapositions is like a downward uh, minor triad. Like it's from B flat to G over an open G string. And that just kind of, I would allow myself to just, if it came up to follow that. Mm, That's powerful. So can we jump to performance art Mm -hmm. and, and the performance art that you do? It's, it's so funny. A lot of this starts because like I moved to the Bay area. Like I had been living in France for a while. My, my partner is French. Um, and I met him in Colorado, my home state and his visa ran out. So I followed him to France for a while. Nice. Um, I was pretty homesick during that time. I didn't play cello at all. So I had like five years off prior to that. I had been doing a music major in Denver, um, got back to the Bay or got to the Bay area, kind of found my stride. And then I, I just, I, on a whim decided to apply to graduate school at San Francisco state just to have something to get ready for. And it was going to be like this throwaway gig, except that I got in and I was like, Oh, (laughs) and I got a scholarship and I was like, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Right. So, so I ended up going to that program and I couldn't keep up. And I was really not finding myself at home in the program. It's not no fault of San Francisco State. I just wasn't fitting in. And I, I really couldn't keep up. I was practicing so much and I just, it, it felt like it was getting worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. But I also found myself wanting to tell stories. Like I wanted to use music more as a foundational way of telling the stories of my community. And I realized that like maybe cello is just a tool, like one of many tools. And I started getting into things like theater. I started working with artists across disciplines. And suddenly I found myself in a performance art workshop that was run by La Poche Nostra. And I spent like two weeks with them learning about performance art and doing some pretty weird stuff, like running down a hallway, like a 50 foot, no, it was like a 200 foot hallway with my eyes closed. Full oh my <laughs> and you have to trust that someone's going to stop you. Um, just learning how to reflect the community you're based on, based in through through art, through using different props, through using stories, using many, many tools. And I found that I felt less limited when I was doing that versus just being a musician. So I really don't consider myself a musician. I think what I do is performance art. 
Oh my gosh, I love that. Running down the hallway sounds so scary. It's terrifying, but so is living in the world. So <laughs> fair. That's yeah, that's some truth right there. <laughs> at least at my hallway, someone was there to catch me. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of like when you would have to like like team building exercises of like one person closes their eyes and is guided by by the other person. I hated those. Oh my gosh. They're hard exercises. And it's funny, I think because like for those kind of team building exercises, like the outcome of it isn't necessarily for your benefit. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. <laughs> so it feels a little bit like contrived, I think. Yeah. But, like when you're doing it kind of for yourself and you're doing it with other artists, it can be I mean, it's also terrifying, but there's a lot to be learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's one of your like most notable performances? Oh, definitely. Um, And to, yeah, 2016, I did a dual exhibit with the visual artist Baron Story. And so he, he's a, he's one of, the most notable um, illustrators of our of our time, and he worked with like Neil Gaiman. He did endless Sandman, endless nights, um, just a tremendous amount of work that's so important to the illustration world and to the visual arts world. And this exhibit took place at the same gallery where I had my found my painting, and uh, we did. Uh, an exhibit that was in response to the French composer Olivier Messiaen's quartet for the end of time. And so I created a sort of monologue to open up the event, and then I did a series of performances of the quartet. And Baron created original artwork in response to the historical circumstances of the quartet, which was germinated at a prisoner of war camp in Stalag, Germany. Um, during World War II, where Messian was held captive. That's wow, that sounds really powerful. Yeah, it was the most, I, I can say that I think it was the most, most important event of my life. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. What's, what's it like to collaborate with a visual artist for when you're playing cello? It's enlightening. Um, they they are able to underscore my music in a way that illuminates something beyond. And it's not just an underscoring, I shouldn't say that, but it opens up and it does illuminate just different facets of performance that I wouldn't think of otherwise. And I think working with artists across disciplines, which is something in classical music that isn't taught, although that's funny because opera is that. (laughs) Um, It really changes how and why you perform. And I think it's really, really sacred. Mm -hmm. So can we talk about Pariah? First of all, congratulations. This is so cool. I'm very just like curious. I want to hear all the things about it. Yeah, totally. She's, um, she has a difficult birth. (laughs) (laughs) So I started, I started her just, yeah, let's see, just around the pandemic. So we're kind of in the height of the pandemic when I started recording. Um, yeah, you know, shutdown happened in March 
And I was on tour and I was supposed to be doing an international tour for my own work following um, an LA show that was sold out. So I was in dress rehearsal and I felt like, hmm, sure feels like the world's on fire. (laughs) Yeah. And then the next day it was California, the Bay Area. The Bay Area was first. We went into shutdown and everything, everything got canceled. And I watched overnight, you know, I had tons of weddings booked. I had tons of corporate events booked for the year. It was going to be a really lucrative year. And I think in one night I just watched $20,000 just disappear. (laughs) Um, So I sat in that and I think like every working artist and musicians, especially we fell into a sort of like deep depression of like, who am I? What am I? And so I was in the Bay for that. And at some point I wanted to have some, some moment of like remembering the world as it used to be. So I decided with my partner, we would go to Colorado, which is my home state and live uh, with my family during the shutdown. So we went to Colorado and that's where I started writing Pariah. And I remember Pariah has a lot of kind of semi-autobiographical overtones of like, and my, my work thematically has a lot to do with exile and otherness Mm -hmm. and it's very political. So that's kind of where she's coming from. And just a sense of like, who the, who the, um, that's kind of how she came about. And she's one of my more formal albums. So there's a lot of formal composition in there. Um, I worked with, an orchestrator and she's I think I think music school would be proud of me for this (laughs) nice (laughs) but yeah pariah is just a she's a book so there's a fairy tale book that I wrote with my father um he's a philosopher he was a professor of philosophy at the University of Denver for he says too many decades Um, (laughs) and so we wrote that together and then I wrote the music to kind of complement the story and then I picked album art as well that um it's a response in some ways to the album art and that Mm -hmm. art also comes from the same gallery in San Jose (laughs) oh my god and um I recorded her at LA's East West Studios in December of 2020 and that one's also funny because my friend Keith Munson um, he co-manages that studio, but I went to use symphony with him when I was 11. Oh my God. <laughs> so when we were in the studio together, it just felt so right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it was also the first time I'd played with an ensemble since the shutdown. And so it felt very cathartic. Mm. It was a surreal experience. What's like, because you do, you're, you're like a multi-hyphenate artist, like a lot of us. Um, what, like, how do you find each, or do you find each of, each of your, uh, outlets kind of like intersecting or do you like consciously bring them together? Mm, I think they unfold one after the other, like a narrative art. Mm -hmm. They should all, well, I guess with all of my work, I really think of it each leg of it should be able to stand on its own, but together it creates a whole body. So, you know, the book is, it can be on its own. 
and the visual art can be on its own and the music can be on its own, but together, you know, they illuminate each other, which is nice. Yeah, that's cool. What's so the book is a fairy tale. Do you Mm -hmm. want to talk a little bit about the story of it? Yeah, sure. So the fairy tale, and this is what the whole operetta is resting on is Pariah. So Pariah is a character. She, she lives in the city of Clochure and in the city, uh, there's many, many villagers. And so Pariah sort of has a gift. And that is when she looks into anyone's eyes, they see a truthful reflection of themselves. Mm. So that can go one of two ways. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so many of them see themselves for who they are, and it makes them very angry. And so for that, Pariah is cast out of the city violently. And uh, she's locked out. And she tumbles into a sort of magical forest at the bottom of the hill below where the city rests on top of a mountaintop. And so there she sort of encounters different apparitions. And she also comes to terms with the fact that she's not a pariah. She's actually a wanderer and that everywhere is home. Oh my God, I love that. And I relate so much. <laughs> yeah, and she's followed out of the city by by someone named Poser, who when he, he sees himself for the very first time in her eyes, and then when he sees what's going on in the city, he knows that he has to leave with her, that he can't go home again, which is a quote from a book by Tom, or from uh, the author Thomas Wolfe, but he knows he can't go home again. So unbeknownst to her, he follows her through the through all of her ordeals, through seeing the apparitions and whatnot. And at some point, he makes himself visible to her, and then they, in a kind of midsummer night dream way, they have a, a pretty good night together. <laughs> <laughs> but the point of Poser is like also I try to use him in a way where he knows that he needs her aid more than she needs his courage. And at the very end, Pariah, who's now Wanderer, she leaves Poser and he watches in serene acceptance as she wanders away and it gives him the courage to be his own person. So I wanted to not have the savior crap going on, <laughs> the usual like male female rescue garbage. Yeah. And like even in the dance film that I directed, I have a woman play poser because I feel like we can be gender neutral. It just does not matter. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Wait, okay, so there's a dance video as well. Yeah, it's a dance film and it incorporates the illustrations in it as well. So that accompanies the live show. Mm. And that also stands on its own too. It can just be a a dance film. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Oh my gosh. I love it. So you mentioned that it's semi-autobiographical. Do you Mm want to expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think Pariah's me. Um, For sure, yeah. (laughs) And it's just that I think, and I think that these are common feelings, but... I very often feel, I just feel different. I felt different in music school. I don't, I'm a cellist. I don't feel like a cellist. My name's Chalista, but I don't feel like a cellist. Um, I just feel different. I feel othered. But I also think that we all kind of feel that way in some ways. I also think that Pariah maybe represents others in our community who are deliberately outcast as well. So she goes beyond me for sure. And 
she's meant to sort of represent the othering that happens in our communities day to day, even between our, our friends and our family. And yeah. Yeah, definitely. I totally relate. I'm very excited to see this oh. <laughs> and like hear it. Where, where can people go to experience everything? everything oh my god right I know I should make a little home for it um (laughs) so the official release date is October 1st and so I should mention this album was composed specifically for immersive audio so it was mixed at Skywalker Sound in five channels and it will be appearing on Apple and Tidal as in the Dolby Atmos mix so this is like uh surround sound people might recognize as cool um and so you can find the music on pretty much all digital platforms including bandcamp and then louder than war is a uk publication it'll start premiering the one of the videos from it and i have an album release date at the santa monica playhouse in los angeles on october 1st as well and it's going to be my film but live scored with members of my ensemble Ooh, yeah so i'm really excited for that one and then everything will probably rest on my website chalista.net cool and then the book you can get on amazon and yeah it'll just be everywhere (laughs) that's so exciting oh my gosh so with your storytelling and like like that being a driving force behind your art do you do you often find that like you have so many so many things that you want to like express and storytell that that it can be like hard to like narrow your focus a little bit no I think at this point I have a pretty good process of how things unfold it starts with either a visual prompt or writing usually a visual prompt then followed by writing followed by music followed by the the film, followed by um, a stage poem. So I have a process. Like I've tried to, I don't want it to be a sloppy thing. Um, and I'm, I believe in the craft of being an artist and I believe in having a process and documenting the process and assessing the process. So yeah, that's kind of how things unfold for me. Mm-hmm. Did it take some trial and error to get there? Or did, were you very deliberate about like, no, I like, I'm going to do this from the start? I was pretty deliberate from the start. I think my first round was a little bit tricky, but then I definitely, it's so funny. Like my dad's a philosophy professor, but then my mother was a city manager. Mm. So I'm like, that's a weird blend of like, I can be, I'm hyper-organized and you, I think as a multimedia artist, if you want to do good work, you have to be organized and you have to live in spreadsheets. So <laughs> that's where I live because it allows me to do the the work I can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Organization is key. <laughs> so uh, final five is speed round. Totally cool. If it's not speed round, because it rarely <laughs> is. <laughs> um, but question one, what is the best piece of advice you were given? Oh yeah. So I was told, by a sort of mentor at some point, be prepared to succeed. So that was a great lesson for me because I had just like royally screwed something up where I had something, I could have gotten something I wanted, but I didn't have the the parts in place 
because I didn't believe in myself and I didn't believe I could succeed. So I just like did a really shit job. <laughs> and, and I, I had something handed to me and I couldn't take it because I wasn't ready. Mm. That's yeah, that's, that's a lesson in self-sabotage right there. Yeah. And I think just, it was also, yeah, it was a lesson also in just like being prepared and like being organized and having your stuff together so that when something comes along, that's, you know, big, you can do it. Yeah. Do you, I like, can you share a little bit about like specifically what it was that you had to pass on <laughs> if you I, want? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's been years. I think it was 2015 when this happened, but I had created a little performance art thing that managed to get pretty great funding from the city of San Jose and from, you know, just various grant making organizations. And then I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't believe in myself and it was a great project and I couldn't even see that. And I didn't, I just didn't have it together and the opportunity for bigger funding came along and I just wasn't, I wasn't ready. And so I missed the opportunity and the whole project kind of walked away from me and I, I had to kind of live with that. Mm. So it was quite, it was a heartbreaking lesson for me at the time. Yeah. Questions two, what's been your favorite performance or piece you've done so far? You did kind of talk about this. Yeah. Just the, the end of time, the end of time project was like a really big deal. Although there was one gig that like really stands out for me for some weird reason. When I was little, I had like a Fisher price, um, cassette tape player oh my gosh (laughs) around with yes um and I had a teddy ruck spin too that you could put any cassette in and I had a cassette of um Tony 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 that band and I I would play it constantly and then I think a couple years ago I got to back them Oh my God. <laughs> and then I like made the mistake of like trying to explain to them why it was a big deal. And they were just like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, never mind. <laughs> Thank you for having me. That's so funny. I love that. <laughs> like my eight year old self was like, yeah, you really made it. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it so weird how like stuff like that will like, random things from my childhood and then it'll just like come full circle it's like wait what I know because I found a picture of me like holding my teddy rex but and I know I know what was in him (laughs) right when I was playing like anniversary you know that really long single yeah (laughs) I was just like in heaven yeah (laughs) that's so good um third question what's one thing you'd tell a young professional pursuing performance oh yeah I mean have your shit together (laughs) literally though (laughs) like you better learn the business side it's not that hard and you better figure it out like you can't go far without it trust me so do it just take that accounting class figure out how to write your press release like figure it out. You're not, you, no one else will do it for you. You don't want to pay someone to do it. Just figure it out. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Take the accounting class. Do it. Yeah. It's one semester. Do it while you're in school. <laughs> don't figure it out the hard way. <laughs> I wish I did it. I wish I did it when I was in school. Oh my gosh. 
It's so much easier while you're in school versus like you don't have time when you start working. You know how gigs are. You're just like constantly working and then you have the business stuff and figuring it out while you're busy. Ugh. It's so annoying that that's not taught in school. It's like we go to school and we like study everything and then we're like thrust into the world and it's like, wait, I I know nothing. I know, right? And the weird part is I know so many music like my so like for instance in grad school right I dropped out because I felt overwhelmed or whatever but I still you know I can play and like I know all these people I went to school with all got their little master's degrees and because of the business side they're now just like not even playing yeah so because if you don't treat it like business I mean I don't know it's not that just do it. <laughs> and because it is a business, like, like, it's like, we're in business for ourselves. And yeah. like that's, that's it's like weird, it. but like, whatever. It's like, someone just paid you to play pocketball. Guess what? You're a business. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, I could go. Right. On. I know. Seriously. <laughs> uh, question four, who's your biggest influence? Besides Biggie. Um, I really like Biggie. So there's, there's Cocteau. He was like a French surrealist and I, I love him. I don't know. Biggie Smalls and Cocteau. Those are the two. Love that. And last question. What's a quote or motto you live by or that really resonates with you? Oh, I think, I think it's just a theater motto that I have internalized um trust the process because mm. it's so hard everything's hard in in the arts it's not like linear whatsoever and I was just thinking as the album is getting released I'm getting you know I get like decent press and I'll get like these little milestones of like it's going so well and then there's a milestone of like everything is so awful <laughs> like, yep. so, like I remember oh yeah I remember not long ago I I recently got to play my compositions at the Lincoln Center, which is, it's like a big deal. It was so exciting. And on my way to the Lincoln Center, just like a week before, um, a Tesla ran over my foot. Oh my God. (laughs) So it was like my lesson and like, just trust the process. (laughs) Just keep going. Otherwise, you know. Right. (laughs) it's it's hard though it's so hard and I do find too that like it's I find this for myself I'm like I know that things are all like it's gonna work out and it's not gonna work out in the way that I expect but it's gonna work out and then I'm like in it and it's hard to like be in both and like have that like I'm like my mind is just like in a whirlpool I know it is the worst I keep telling myself that too because I'm like I'm like, oh God, I'm, I'm like approaching, I'm 38 and I still feel like I don't know anything. And I, I'm trying to come to terms. I'm like, it may not work out and it's okay. But at least when I look back over it all, I want to know I've done good work because mm-hmm. that matters to me a lot. Um, and hopefully I was like, you know, I'll probably be one of those artists that once I'm dead, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna like, that'll be you'll be like rediscovered in a hundred years (laughs) I'm like 
I'm just trying to trust the process in that I know I just have to do it. I have to do it. I committed to this life and I have to do it and it may not work out the way I want it to. And it may be kind of like crappy, but I mean, I believe in my art and I believe in the process of making my art. So that's where I'm going to live. Yeah. And maybe, maybe again, at the end of the day, at the end of my life, I'll get to accompany Tony, Tony, Tony again. So. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Icing on the cake. God, that would be good. Right. Oh my gosh, this has been so good. Thank you so much for chatting. I'm glad we could conclude with um cannot be your outro music. <laughs> it's such a good tune. They're such a good band. They're like Oakland royalty. Oh my gosh. They're so good. And like everyone gets in the aisles and dances and it's amazing. Oh my god. Can I like we need to just fast forward to where we can do that again. I know, I know. I know. That sounds like, like, I need that right now. I have solo <laughs> dance parties with myself and it's, but I'm, I need that. I totally have solo dance parties with like that chihuahua right there. Yes. <laughs> and she's miserable, but I'm happy. So right. I just tell her, trust the process, Izzy. <laughs> <laughs> Moral of the story, trust the process. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, thanks for joining. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed your time today. Please take a minute to press that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play. And if you liked today's episode, please rate and leave a review. It would mean so much to me and it helps more listeners like you find this podcast. You can connect with our guests and myself on social media. All of our information and more is listed in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Senya. See you next time.